So in our devoted series that we've been in, um, with some interruptions, with COVID, with, um, with racial reconciliation, with other things we've touched on, uh, I, I wanted to bring us back to this picture of the church gathered together. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about loving one another uh, a few weeks before. That kind of led into the discussion about discipleship relationships. Um, and, and now we're going to move into the gathered church, like as a church. In other words, we're going to examine a portion of Scripture today that more than any other scripture I know in terms of the amount of, of verses deals with what happens when the church comes together, like functionally, like what happens in what we, we might call a Sunday meeting when all of God's people are gathered. And um, it's really going to center on this issue of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And so when we pick up the section here, um, we're, we're, we're in the middle of a longer letter, 1 Corinthians, and, and Paul's been dealing with all kinds of issues in the church, um, all kinds of problems going on, and their issues affected every aspect of their lives individually, like morality and ethics, but it also affected how they were thinking about him and each other when they were gathered together. So even though there's a lot of different problems going on that we don't necessarily have, it's, it's still how he deals with them answers a lot of questions that we should be both asking and, and learning about. So, um, so I, I just, I, I really am grateful that God's allowed us to come to this passage and get into the nooks and crannies of it. Uh, I've, I've actually been wanting to look at this, these three chapters for years uh, w- with more of a, a focus than we've been able to in other series. Um, and so... There's a lot of things going on over these chapters, 12, 13, and 14. And um, in my original construction of this passage, I was just going to read 12, 13, and 14 to you guys because it's really one big argument Paul's making, 12, 13, and 14. And if you get time this week, I would ask you guys to sit down in your your devotional time or whatever time you have set aside and read. It's not incredibly long, but read 12, 13, and 14 together and kind of ask yourself and ask the Lord to help you see the the threads that run across everything. And as I've looked over this, I, I believe that the Lord has a major theme that runs through 12, 13, and 14 as he's dealing with the issue of, of what we do when we're together and particularly the issue of spiritual gifts. And, and I think that what he wants to say or what he wants to run through, everything else he says, is this, that the Lord wants to care for his people through his people. Because he loves his people. That the Lord wants to care for his people through his people because he loves his people. And that doesn't sound like earth shattering and you're probably like, duh, you know, okay, God loves his people and he wants us to love one another. But he has done some really incredible and powerful and faith and hope giving things to to walk this out in his church. And, and, and I think that this idea that the Lord wants to care for his people through his people because he loves his people, this theme should really help us wherever we are when we're thinking about being a church family together and wherever we are when we're thinking about spiritual gifts. Like if we're weirded out by past experiences with spiritual gifts or we're confused about spiritual gifts, This idea at the front should calm us with a sense that a good and loving God is not looking to frighten us, to shove things down our throat, but he can be trusted. He can be trusted to both show us what gifts are and and to give us the encouragement to want them and to receive them. Because it's a very simple and loving thing he wants to do. He wants to care for you through each other because he loves you. Whatever else we say about spiritual gifts and the the differences and the mystery of them and the the risk-taking involved in them, like this is what he wants to do. It's a very simple thing that we can all trust from the get-go. He wants to care for you through one another because he loves you. If, if we're super excited about the spiritual gifts, we're on the other end of the spectrum and we've, we've grown up in Pentecostal churches and, you know, you come to a, a church like ours and you're like, why isn't it quite like this? Or quite? You know, 
when we think about this theme, the Lord wants to care for his people through his people because he loves his I'm hoping that these chapters and this theme will will deepen your praise for the giver, like whether the gifts are where you want them, that that he's at work here. Wherever, you know, if, if we're not strong enough in the spiritual gifts, if they're not all firing and all pistons, we can still look to our Father and say, you, this is what you want for us, though. You want us to care for one another because you love us. And, and, and as opposed to looking with discouragement, we can look with expectation that he's going to be at work to do this more and more. And it can motivate you, perhaps, to want to use your gifts in keeping with his loving character and to want to say, gosh, if, if at the core of all that he's doing in spiritual gifts is this issue of love and loving one another with, with just a great deal of quality, as First as Corinthians 13 will help us see. You know, I, I can trust the Lord to, to show me how to do that better. So, you know, as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking, gosh, people are in all kinds of different places with spiritual gifts. You know, some people have been in weird situations they don't want to see again. Some people are, are starving for more. And, and, and wherever you are on this, I think the bigger issue that should speak to you and governor is, is what we've been talking about. You've got a good father who wants to give you good things. And you, you need to be open to that, whatever it is. Like if, if you have a good dad and he's coming home and he says to you on the phone, I have something good for you. And you don't know what it is yet. But you know your father. Like you don't know what the thing he wants to give you is yet. But you know him. And so you can look forward to anticipation. Even if it's, you know, it's not an explosive new opening in a gift that you've been hungering for, but it's a way to speak to you about the gift that you have, that maybe he wants you to steward better or think about better. I don't know what it is that God has for you, particularly in our church context, but I know that he's a good father, and I know that we should all be looking to him and saying, Lord, I want more of whatever you have for me. I want you to show me. I want you to help me develop this or help me... Um, Maybe restrain this, depending on, on where you are with him. But he wants to give you something good. So, and, and I think that's part of like, like at the outset, just centralizing this whole issue, not around, we'll get to it, like what the gifts are and when and how, but really the character of God and who he is, being the wellspring from which everything else comes. And as we, as we start this chapter, we, we see that right from the get-go in chapter 12. So, Paul's dealing with a problem in the church, as he is in almost every section of this, of this book. And, and in the church, in Corinth, you have a lot of people with a lot of gifts. They were really enriched. In fact, in the first part of the letter, Paul says, in every way, in every way, I mean, wherever you could receive spiritual gifting, you guys got it. He says, in every way, you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't know if there was something peculiar in terms of what that church needed relative to a church in Galatia or relative to the church in Rome, but, but, but you might say that church had the look of maybe what we would call a very charismatic church. There was a ton of, of Holy Spirit activity going on among them. And, and Paul is saying, you, you guys have everything. I mean, God has just poured out a ton. But because of their character, because of the, the maturity or lack of maturity in the church, there was also a lot of pride and selfishness and sin and dysfunction affecting the way they were thinking about and practicing the spiritual gifts God had given them. And, and looking through the whole book, you can see that in some places— some may have had spiritual gifts that they were very proud of, that they thought, I am really more special than other people because of this way that God has created me and configured me. And other people may have been feeling the exact opposite. I'm a loser. <laughs> I don't have anything to offer. Or the spiritual gift that God's given me, I'm not really happy with it. You know, I'm really gifted in this area. I can do this, but I can't do what they can. And if I could do what they can, I'd I'd feel much better about myself, and it's kind of this inverted pride because you're still, it's, it's still about you, right? Some people were challenging the validity, possibly, of other people's gifts in a very common way that we see today where some people may have been saying about tongues, this is, 
Like, get this out of the church. This is just weird. Don't do that. And even there's indications that even prophecy itself may have been something where people were just like, look, you're not the Lord. Don't bring that on me. You know, and, and we, we can kind of, whether we wouldn't necessarily say it now, but we, we've experienced in that thing. We, we, we experience that kind of idea today in churches where people are just like, dude, that is weird. I don't, I don't, I don't want that thing. And, and keep it inside and, or keep it between you and God. Um, or or even, even more like, I don't think that's of the Lord. I just think that that's from an unclean spirit or it's your imagination. But um, And sometimes it can be that. But, but Paul is saying that that's going on in a church where the Holy Spirit was at work. People were denying the validity of other people's gifts. Um, and some were just basically not thinking in godly ways about the gifts they had and were using them poorly. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of problems. Their problems can't help but touch on some of our problems because it, it, their problems cover so much ground in what's possibly, um, what's possibly needing care. Um, so we're going to jump right in. Let's jump in with, with verse 1 in chapter 12. By the way, I don't even know if I've said that word. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 1. And Paul starts out, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And, and just for you ladies, I just want to say that almost every time you see brothers in Scripture, it's a generic, it's like mankind. It, it's, he means brothers and sisters. And some translations will even just spell that out. But I don't want women to feel like God doesn't want to speak to you because he's talking to brothers. It really means mankind, people, brothers and sisters. Hey, guys, you know, we do it today with guys, right? So Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of questions about why Paul is speaking, like dealing with this issue. Like, what's he mean? Were people saying Jesus is accursed in the middle of their church services? And I, I've looked at this and, and studied a lot this week about this. And D.A. Carson, who's just got a, a Texas-sized brain, I think he's, he's hit it on the mark. When, when at the very beginning, he's trying to sort of level the field for everybody in this church and say, essentially, listen, you might be thinking you're better because you have this gift. You might be thinking you're a loser because you don't have this gift. But the issue is this. Do you say Jesus is Lord? Do you, do you recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord, as your Savior, as the Messiah? Because if you do, you have the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, you have the most important thing that the Holy Spirit gives, the greatest gift that he gives, is the gift of the revelation of Jesus Christ to open your mind and your heart, to bow down in your heart and say, he is the Lord. He is my Savior. And so Paul is trying to really humble the proud and lift up the humble and say, this is where, it, this is where it, the, the center of gravity of anything the Holy Spirit's doing is right here. Jesus is Lord. And if you can say Jesus is Lord, you have the most important thing the Holy Spirit gives and you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You remember when we look at Acts 2, what did we see happen at Pentecost? The Spirit falls down on the disciples and then Peter proclaims the promise of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? To those gathered at Pentecost. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. But, but how did he get them there? Did he just talk about the Holy Spirit for 10 minutes? Who did he talk about? And then end with, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Who did he talk about? The whole time. Do you remember what was in that proclamation at Pentecost? Did he, did he come out and preach about spiritual gifts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Was that his main theme that morning or that day? What, what was his main theme? I mean, seriously, someone answer if you know. Who did he talk about more than anybody else? It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. I saw Cam, you mouth you like, it was Jesus Christ. And Paul's doing something similar again here. He's saying, as you bicker and argue about spiritual gifts, the central unifying truth 
the power initiating truth is Jesus Christ. This is the mark of one sealed in the Spirit. Not firstly their gifts, but their allegiance to Jesus Christ. They're recognizing Jesus Christ. And so that's the Satanist church down the corner that, that says the Holy Spirit gifts aren't active, which we are not, and we would absolutely disagree and we'd be sad for them. But they're full of people who say Jesus Christ is Lord. The Holy Spirit is powerfully at work there. If they are truly confessing him as Lord, if they are truly trusting him as their Savior, and if his love is working in their lives, the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work. And, and you know, the, the church five streets away that, that is Pentecostal and, and, and has, calls out all the stops, but they're starting to deny essential doctrines of the truth that, that revolve around Jesus, like the Trinity, or like God's view of, of marriage. They're, they maybe have all kinds of gifts going on, but they're losing hold of the center of the truth, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that what he says is authoritative and that we have to give our lives to follow him, not what we want. Um, so if that's your sincere confession this morning, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is your savior, that he is the one who has atoned for your sins and that he is the one that you want to follow with your life, you have just as much of the Holy Spirit as a pastor, as the prophet Jeremiah, or as the apostle John. And so that's what Paul does at the outset. He levels the field and says, this is all about Jesus, what comes from him, what he's done. And, and folks, I just want to say as an aside, like, this is what God came to do. Like, all that we're going to talk about this morning, he, he didn't come to, like, make a speech to you and tell you some things, and he didn't come to get you to have more quiet times simply or to you know, to, to stop looking at websites that you shouldn't look at and then move along, right? He, he didn't come to, like, give you some ethical tips to grow with and get self-improvement in. He came to pour himself out on you. He came to give himself fully to you, to come inside your life, to make you new, and to fill you with his power, to fill you with his presence, and so whatever else we think about the specifics of spiritual gifts, we should recognize that the New Testament age is the age of the Holy Spirit. It is the age of God coming and indwelling his people in a way that he never did before with a permanence and a power that he never had before. And that's the whole idea of this new covenant that we're in right now. Remember, Jeremiah says a time is coming when a man won't teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord. It won't be about me taking out Leviticus and showing you these truths. And No, inside the person's heart, God will live. He will write who he is on their very heart. And they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's the age that we're in now. And the, the agent of making that happen once Jesus has died, risen, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, the agent of making that happen is the Holy Spirit. He is the power of God and the presence of God living inside us. So now Paul continues to try to get them to, to bring their exploration of the gifts into a, a closer connection with the truth by, by, not looking at, that's, by not looking at simply at the gifts, but continuing to get them to, to major on the major of the giver of the gifts. Okay? And he's got, a, he's got a big plan here. He's trying to unify all these disagreements and all these warring factions with this idea that you've got a trustworthy father. He's of one mind, he's of one heart, and he's doing all the things that are different among you. It's one God, one father. So he says in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. From the Presbyterian church that's stodgy and liturgical to the it's all going off Pentecostal church that's full of crazy outward expressions. You know, wherever the spirit of God is really at work, it's one God. It's one spirit. They may not feel like they're part of the same church. They may not feel like they're brothers and sisters in the Lord functionally because they're, they're so different. But God sees as we don't. And he says, you, you are all one people. And I'm at work among all of you. To one, verse 8, 
to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongue, to another interpretation of, of tongues. Look at verse 7. To each, this is his main theme here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is one God doing all these different things. God wants to minister to his people through his people because he loves his people. Now, in the, in the midst of Paul's larger point, he begins to mention gifts. And at the outset, I want to say this is not an exhaustive lift, list of the gifts. In other books, we see other gifts mentioned. In Romans, for instance, we see the gift of mercy, which is an, an unusual ability to comfort, encourage, to feel compassion for someone. That would be an incredible gift to have as a counselor, for instance. Um, but you don't need to have that in an official capacity as a counselor. You can just be a wonderful person who is informally counseling all the time with this gift of compassion, with this gift of feeling other people's afflictions, because that's what God does. Another person has a gift of administration. They're just able to see structures and to see how to move from A to Z in a way that other people can't, and they can do it very quickly and, and very fruitfully. Another gift is the gift of leadership. Courage to say, let's go over here. Here's where we're going. Um, another gift is the gift of giving. That's giving, contributing financially to the needs of the saints and to the church. Some people are just really good at making money, and they're really good at, in their heart, they're good at being generous with that money. Um, you've probably seen them in other churches. I've seen them too. I, you know, I, I feel like I don't have the, the gift of being great with money, but I see people who just, they move through it like a knife through butter. They just make wise decisions. God blesses them with it, and then they're able to bless other people. The gift of encouragement, exhortation is there. You know, th there are just some people in your lives where they're, they're just on the setting of, of let's go, let's love the Lord. I want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. And their temperament just seems to be locked in on, I want to lift you up. I want to point you to Jesus. And, and in whatever setting, you know, you're going through, you bump into them and they're just pointing you to, to him, pointing you in, in, a, in a wise way, in a fruitful way to him. So what I'm trying to say is this list this we're going to look at this morning is not exhaustive. And I don't think there's an exhaustive list in the Bible. And when you think about the idea that God is good and he gives good things so that we can love one another, it, it kind of broadens the room. Like, you don't have to get the specific technical gift, you know, technical list down. I don't think that's the point of these lists in the Bible, is to say, these gifts and no more. I think the bigger picture frees us up to imagine that God can do a lot of things that aren't necessarily on these lists if they are in keeping with him being a good God who wants to serve his people through his people because he loves them. When, when you look at God that way, it opens up, it opens up the, the floor on, on what might be a gift. Um, so I want to, but I do want to walk through these specific gifts just briefly. Um, let's take utterance and wisdom. This may be the gift to understand and proclaim the wisdom of God. And in scripture, the wisdom of God is often oriented around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this gift of wisdom might be uh, very valuable for being a person who's given to teaching. Um, but it also may involve just the more proverbial sense of wisdom where you have a particular aptitude for helping other people grow spiritually in their lives through specific advice for a life situation. You know, you can probably, in the Rolodex of your mind, you can think of people that when I'm in crisis or I'm in trouble, there's, there are just some people that I can go to and, and they're going to give pretty good, biblically grounded advice. And, you know, I, you may not have... A, a ton of them, but you can think of two or three people and you're like, you know, they're just really good at counsel. And, and I'm going to go and ask them to think through things and, and they have that gift. Uh, another gift is the gift of knowledge. This may very well be the supernatural ability to speak into specific circumstances that you have no idea about uh, in, in a natural way, but God's given you an understanding so, you know, last week we talked about when Spurgeon knew that someone in his congregation had stolen a pair of gloves. And in the middle of his sermon, he, he, he calls them out. He says, there's someone here who is a criminal and you need to repent before God. You've stolen a pair of leather gloves. And of course, it's famous. This, this person had stolen it. And some of you guys may have been in churches where you experienced that a lot. You know, I, I had 
Uh, there was a, a young lady I was dating uh, after college who I went to college with, and she had a terrible foot problem. And, and at this one service, this pastor or other leader said, there's someone in here who has a, you know, a, a damaged arch, something. It was exactly her issue, and I believe that there was prayer given for her, and she was healed. I, I've seen that kind of thing happen in, in our church. Um, I, even even in, a, in a more uh, heavy way where, where um, I believe there was a season, not a season, but something a year ago where, where one of our members had a sense that, some, that another member in our church, they didn't know them very well, they didn't know the circumstances of their life, but they just had a sense that someone was in a really, really dangerous place in their life with God and that God needed them to turn back to him. And uh, it, it was literally within, I think, 24 hours that, that the night I... I came into contact with the person, a person in our church who, who just was caught in a really serious place. And, I, and it was just amazing. To, and it gave me such encouragement that the Lord was speaking and drawing and comforting, you know, was calling this person back to know that, well, this person over here, you know, had this sense over here. And then, you know, as a pastor, I've got to engage that person. And then I, it's not just me engaging them. It's the sense that, well, the Lord already knows he already knows they're in big trouble. He already knows that they need help. So now I can go to them with even more confidence that the Lord is at work drawing back and calling. So it's just a beautiful gift um, to see that gift of knowledge. So then there's the gift of healings. I, I don't think that's rocket science. It's the ability to physically make someone well. Um, and the, the, the verb here is, the, the word here is plural, healings, the gift of healings. And uh, Sam Storms has elaborated on this, and I think he's probably onto something very good as well as D.A. Carson, is that the, the, the Greek construction here communicates the idea that, that these aren't necessarily gifts that you can call out on the spot, but you have a, uh, a track record of maybe more powerful interactions with the Lord when you're praying for someone. And in, in, in Sam Storm's repertoire, it's certain kinds of healings. In his experience, he knew Sam Storms is a, is a great pastor who writes and preaches on gifts a lot. Um, and, and he talks about knowing people who had certain gifts for certain kinds of illnesses. Like there was a particular person at his church who was just really like more likely to have a, a gift for healing people who had bad backs or bad, um, you know, different ailments, skin problems. And that was kind of just the gift that God had given them. But it wasn't necessarily where, you know, they could just walk around on the street and say, do you have a back problem? I'm going to pray for you. Do you have a back problem? pray for you. And it would just happen. No, it, it would happen according to the Spirit's time and place. And you see this in even Paul's life. There are people that Paul heals in the Bible. Remember that one guy falls asleep. He falls out the window. He dies. Paul goes down and resurrects him, right? There are other people that Paul has to leave sick in certain regions, because he just, you know, Epaphroditus almost dies. Timothy, you got to take this certain kind of ancient medicine called wine for your stomach. You know, so Paul didn't just go around zapping everybody at will. The Spirit is the one who decides when and how. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't give people a particular proclivity, a particular aptness to be able to serve in this particular area. So that's something on healings. Um, miracles are, 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 again, just that. To, to be enabled by God to perform actions which, which witness or acknowledge the truth of God. So miracles in the, in the New Testament are particularly important to attest to the fact that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is. So, you know, and these can dovetail with healing. So Heather, when she's with, is it Charisse? Charisse? Charisse, you know, was it yesterday when you prayed for her? Two days ago. So, so Heather goes to Therese. Therese doesn't believe in Jesus. She's going after other gods. And, and, and Heather puts her hand on Therese. And God, you know, we're still waiting on the, on the, on the healing. But God did a miraculous thing. He, he created a physical sensation of his presence in Heather and then in Therese. And they, they will felt a physical manifestation of God's power. And Therese was convicted of the love of God. Right. And and so that's I, that's a miracle. That's a, a sign that attests to the authentic, authenticity of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I've I can just testify. I, I've experienced the same thing. I um, I hurt my back really bad. I might have said this before, but I, I hurt my back really bad. A number of years ago, I went to Jen's house and her father, who is very committed, who is very committed to spiritual gifts. Um, I, I literally walked in the house. And, and he said, let me pray for you. Uh, and he put his hand on my, my, my back. And I immediately felt intense heat. It was super strange. 
but it was like his hand was like a, a microwave heating pad. I, I felt this sense of, you know, Heather used the idea of electric. I mean, it, it had that sense of like, whoa, there is power going out of Mark into me. And, and I, I immediately went from this to like, you know, he did it, and it was gone. I was able to completely stand up and do that. I've had that happen with me with, uh, you guys remember Deb Thompson used to come to our church. She had terrible knees. It seemed like every couple of weeks, you know, I, I would pray for her knees. And I remember on, on certain occasions, I, I would feel energy, like I would feel heat. I'm not making this up, but it's right in the Bible. You know, who touched me? I felt power going out of me, the Lord said, right? Why, why should we doubt this? It's exactly what Jesus says he came to not only do on earth when he was here, but to leave us with through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm, you guys aren't necessarily doubting. I'm like, in my own mind, I'm, I just know it's easy to doubt this. Um, so discerning spirits is, is likely the ability to understand uh, and have a conviction from the Holy Spirit about whether purported spiritual ideas or purported spiritual work is really from the Lord or from Satan or from false spirits. Um, there are people who can, you know, I mean, even even driving in today, Frederick, when, when Nathan says, I drove in today and I, I just have this palpable sense that darkness is at work in a more profound way. I've experienced the same thing. I went on a mission. I went down to Mexico uh, in 1992 and I remember driving across the border into Mexico and, and just going across the border, it was as if, it was as if uh, an intense weight of depression and, and just a crushing sense of dirtiness just began to like, fill my mind. And, and I just had the sense that this was a demonically affected place in a more profound way than the United States was. And, you know, I, I don't, I would never write, try to write, you know, Acts 29 on that or add a chapter of the Bible on that. But I, I just know that, that I, I've heard about that experience before. And, and I, I think that's something of what Nathan is talking about, that the, the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, just gives you a sense. This is not safe. It might be a sermon you're listening to. This is not safe. It might be a, a, a type of religious activity. This is not right. This is not of me. And you just know to either call it out um, or if, you know, if it's not your church where you have that kind of need to, to care for the brothers, you, you might just say, I'm not coming back here. Um, but discerning spirits is a real thing. You know, when you think about it in a, in a, in a church environment where the Bible wasn't written yet, you know, how much more important that might have been than it is. I'm not saying it's not important now. I think it is still important. But think about this church that didn't have Matthew, like, right there to open up and, and confirm. So God was so gracious, you know, which he does that. He, he gives gifts because they're needed. And, and it's okay where sometimes God might give a ton of gifts over here this way, but in a place where it's not as needed, he may not give as much. But he gives what's needed for the benefit of all. Um, tongues and interpretation. These are, as I think the passage will bear out, uh, on the one hand, dis uh, indiscernible devotional languages, on the one hand, and on the other hand, their interpretation, the ability to explain them to people who don't understand them. So I, we're going to talk more about that when we get into 14. But after listing all these gifts, Paul wants us not to lose the main theme. There is one God overseeing all these gifts to one body for one purpose. And in verse 11, he comes back to it. All these, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And you can almost feel he's pregnant with this question. How can you use these gifts to one-up each other? Or, or how can you look at these gifts as things to like sinfully covet from one another? Or, 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 or why would you think God would want so much confusion going on about these gifts? Or so much fear going on. This is God who gives all these gifts for good purposes. He's a good father. He can be trusted. You should look to him for these gifts. He's good. You shouldn't be 
playing vain games of one-upsmanships with these gifts. They're, they're all coming from one Father. So I think that though we're not in the same situation that Corinth is in, I think we should take to heart this truth that God is of one mind and one purpose regarding gifts. He wants his people to bless one another with wisely distributed and generously given gifts so we can be a means of his love for one another. And this should create in us a desire to receive them because one God who has one loving purpose wants to give them. It it should create in us a desire to understand what our unique gifts might already be, that we might use them. And, And on the other hand, this understanding that there's one God who has one loving purpose with the gifts it, it, should, it, it should productively bolster idea that there are boundaries in how to use these gifts that we don't want to cross. His main goal being that we are to bless one another and not exalt ourselves with these gifts. It's 1130. Um, I want to be really careful with the time. There's so much to talk about here. Okay, I'm going to try to move through the next section quickly. Okay, so 14, Paul picks it up again. The body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong in the body. Uh, Verse, uh, you know, verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body. He arranged them, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So now he's going into the metaphor of the body. So when he's talking about unpresentable parts, he's not talking about you. He's, he's really talking about the human body. He's saying every part of our body has some characteristic uh, that's not necessarily uniform. You know, we, we, we cover up certain parts of body. We don't cover up certain parts of our body, but we treat Every part of the body, we should be treating it all with respect. We should be treating it all with nourishment and care. Um, And, you know, we think about a pinky on your foot. A pinky is one of the, the less impressive parts of many people's bodies. And in fact, if you look at people's toes, toes in general as a category, are some of the least impressive parts of anybody's bodies, especially the older you get. You know, some people just have these toes that look like this. And so even as a category, toes are already way back there. Like, but then think about being a pinky. You know, you're like, you're like the king of the losers. You know, like, like if toes are like some of the uglier, weirder parts of the body, and then you're like the pinky, you don't even get to be like mid-level toe. You're like the bottom of the barrel. If you were to lose your pinky today, it's very possible that you would just stumble all over the place. Your pinky is essential for keeping your balance. Any world-class athlete who lost their pinky would probably lose their, their pinky toe, would probably lose their career. Your nose hairs are so unsightly and weird. I don't want to see any of your nose hairs. None of you want to see any of my nose hairs. That was probably one of the main things the Corinthians could agree on. You know, nose hairs are bad, right? Your nose hairs keep harmful debris out of your body, out of your immune system, and they maintain moisture in the air you breathe. I, you know, I think you get more nose hairs as you get older because your immune system probably gets weaker and you need more nose hairs. I don't know. I'm, so, I'm not going to spend much more time talking about nose hairs, but I just want you to know that one time I cut my nose hairs a lot because I was so grossed out by them. I got very sick over the next couple of days, and I know that it had to do with me wiping out an essential defense system that my body has. What Paul is trying to say, and what I'm trying to say with my wonderful divergence here is that there's no unessential there's no dispensable part of the body of Christ God has set it up that way 
that every part is necessary. And we need to recognize that in the matter of spiritual gifts, just as in the matter of so much else in our existence, God sees things very differently than we see things. He, he sees the widow who can only give her last two pennies at the temple. And he sees the rich man giving $4 million at the temple. And he says the rich man didn't give anything, really. And that widow gave everything. That widow's offering means so much more to God than that rich man's. The world will never see that. And God wants us to recognize that those who do behind-the-scenes work to untangle cords or count ties or get plastic cups ready for communion are as precious to his heart as the preacher who exegetes well. And so they should be precious to our hearts as well. He wants us to recognize that the person who comes to the prayer meeting, who can barely work up the courage to pray out loud for someone, and sometimes can only pray for others in the quietness of their heart, that God wants them to know that their prayers are precious to him and maybe, maybe more meaningful to him than the loquacious guy who's always talking, like me, and can pray for 10 minutes. In the world, it's Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Barack Obama, the Bushes, the Gates, the Oprahs, the talented and the brilliant who are elevated. And, and even in the church, we can do similarly. We can elevate the gifted preacher and the leader of a great movement, inspired authors that we love to read and tell others about. God would caution us to be careful with the hype, that, that he doesn't see things that way. God uses and will use outwardly powerful gifts. We can be grateful he does. But God treasures the love and affection poured out by the weary single mom on her last brain cell for her rebellious kid when no one is looking, as much, if not much, much more than the emotionally roused preacher who's commanding thousands in a meeting. God treasures the chronically depressed who fights everything in their, their immune system that's fighting, over, fighting their own bodies to, to, to open up their Bible and talk to him, and they can barely do it for five minutes. And God wants his church to be a place where the weak, the old, the poor, the less gifted, humanly speaking, with, with wisdom, with smarts, with intelligence, those who come from homelessness and drug addiction, that they're treasured and seen just as much for either where they are, who they are, or for the great potential they have in the kingdom, and even in quiet ways that we might never see, that they're treasured just as much as the, the upper middle class, beautiful family who come into the service and, and you know, all the church leaders dovetail to because, oh, what are they, are they going to come here and lift everything up and pour money and energy into our church? Now, you are, verse 27, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. And, and just as an aside, I have to say this because there are actually teachers and some of them are in Frederick or around Frederick who will teach you that you should have every spiritual gift. I, I, I knew several people very recently who were just like, every spiritual gift is available to you. The kingdom is here in all its fullness. No, it's not. And no, they aren't. The kingdom is not here in all its fullness. That's why we wait for what we don't see, Paul says. We groan in this futile age. We have the first fruits, the spirit, but he is the promise, the deposit of the great, greater kingdom that's coming in its fullness later. So Paul's saying here, does everybody get everything? No. If you had all the gifts, guess what? You wouldn't need anybody. <laughs> you wouldn't need any other gifts. So I, I know that probably most of you aren't wondering about that, but I just wanted to take that aside to make that clear. Not everyone has the gifts. And by the way, this should put an end to, and I, I, I don't mean to pick on the classic Pentecostal idea, but, but this should put an end to forever. The Bible should put an end forever to the idea that tongues, which I believe is a real gift, and Paul believes it's a real gift too, and he's, ex he's glad about that gift, but, but tongues has been put forth 
by many people in different quarters as a sign of the baptism of the Spirit, of this second blessing, or even as a sign of, of authentic salvation. But here we have the Word of God saying, does everyone have the gift of tongues? And the answer is no. Not everybody does. So just an aside there. Not everyone has the same gifts. Not everyone has the same level or capacity. Even in God's plan, not all have the same authority. Paul says, we have apostles over here. We have people with, with healings over here or administration. Guess what? Apostles have an authority that the person with a preaching gift, like I might have, it doesn't, I don't, no matter how, what my prophetic or teaching gift is, I don't get to authoritatively tell you what the gospel is unless Jesus and Paul tell me what the gospel is. That's what I do. I take what they say and I try to make it more understandable and by God's grace help you find life in it again. But, but apostles write authoritative scripture that I'm called to submit my life to. Some people just get gifts that you don't get. Some people have capabilities and abilities that you won't have. And we are laying in the plane here. So just follow me for a couple more minutes. But this brings up a question, right? Does, does God have favorites then? Like, is the Apostle Paul more valuable and more treasured by God than you? Or or someone who has an upfront gift, we might call it, like, like Kim or um, like Holly, who, who do more prophetic work. Do they matter more to God than Brando, who has spent his whole Christian life making it so other people can preach and the sound works or the PowerPoint works? Or, or you, who struggle, like I said before, to even come to the prayer meeting and say a prayer for somebody. And the answer, as you might guess, from a God like God is no, he doesn't have favorites. God doesn't see as we see. It simply means God is sovereign. He gets to decide who gets what for the good of all in his good plan. And what makes this all okay? What makes this all beautiful? is that no matter what your rank, so to speak, no matter what your gifting or capacity, so to speak, it's all for one purpose, for loving other people. If, if you have more than me, and yet you're having more than me, is to bless me and magnify God's heart of love towards me, <clears throat> what complaint could I have, right? And I say that again, if, if you have more than me, in God's design, or, or something that I want that I don't have. But in God giving it to you, his, in giving it to you, his purpose was for you to be able to love me better and bless me. What complaint should I have, right? If we're all getting the rich blessings, why should I be upset if I'm not the one who got to bring the rich, you know, I come to the potluck and I get to eat the fried chicken. Whether I brought the fried chicken or not isn't the issue. Did I walk in with my amazing fried chicken and everyone's, wow, look at Albert. He always brings the amazing fried chicken. No, it doesn't matter. I might have brought the, the bag of Tostitos. But why should I feel embarrassed or ashamed if that's all I could bring if, if it's all for love's sake? It, it, and if I get to eat the fried chicken too, right? And, and that's why Paul is going to go where he's going to go. We're going to go next week. He's going to talk about, he's going to expand even more on this one purpose of God, which is all about love. And we get to this masterpiece in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm going to stop here. And um, we'll just get into that whole chapter next week. But I just want to leave you with this. Just in, by way of application. I'm going to say this again. This one God who has one loving purpose in his gift giving, that we would care for each other because he's a loving God, it should free us from several things. It should free us from the fear of the unknown. Whatever unusual or foreign experience of gifts might be in your past or in your imagination, as you think about gifts, remember they all come. If they really are coming, they're coming from a God who, who loves you and has one loving purpose for you to love others through the gifts he gives you. That should free you to want him to give you all that he has for you to give. And it should free you to eagerly desire, as Paul says, the spiritual gifts. 
whether you feel like you have them now and need to know more about them, which we're going to talk about. How do we know more about them? Or you just want to see them stirred up in you. You should feel free to go for it and start talking to God about that. Start praying that the Lord would, would help you know what your gifts are and how to use them. So would you just do that? Like, I, I just want to appeal to you guys this week. You know, we need your gifts. There are people in this church that need care that I can't give them. You know, I'm, I'm continuing to think about singles and youth. And, and I was talking to Kevin, uh, pastor at Covenant Life, on Saturday about these different ideas I'm having. He's just like, Albert, you, you got to be careful. You can't wear all the hats. It will kill you, and it will also prevent others from stepping out and stepping into places where they should be using their gifts. Now, I got to do that wisely because I got to help get people there, right? But my point is, like, if this church is going to survive and, and flourish and grow, it needs gifts that you have that I don't have. And even if I have them, I can't bring them everywhere, right? So would you please pray, God, show me what my gifts are. Help me to want them. Help me to use them. And, and help me be satisfied. Maybe I don't get what Holly gets. But, but to you, it's precious if I use it for love. To you, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a Lamborghini or a Honda Civic. If, if the person behind the wheel driving is driving it out of love, you are pleased. That's the most important thing for you. And, and lastly, we should expect that God wants to strengthen us in this area of gifts. Whether it's behind-the-scenes stuff, upfront stuff, God gives gifts to his people to supply his church so that his church is adequately, adequately supplied. It's not just about going to seminary or doing training teams. God's the one who does this. It's not just about a... a, a my point is that God wants his church well supplied with all that it needs. He wants his church loving one another with the strength that he gives. No person is not essential. So please, this week, I just want to appeal to you Spend some time over these chapters, 12, 13, 14. Ask God to fan into flame your gifts. Ask him to give the gifts that this church needs to this church for the benefit of all. It's all his will. It's what he wants to do. Amen. Amen. Amen.